I stand before the crowd, listening for my name. They shall be crucified, this man is who to blame. Welcome to another episode of Love, Transform, Restore. This is Charles Prince, your host of this podcast, Minister of the Lyman Church of Christ in Lyman, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to this episode, episode number six. I've been so thankful for everyone that's been tuning in to this podcast. I'm not able to see who all tunes in, but I do see how many plays that I have and how many uh, of my estimated audience. And so right now the stats that I'm seeing is that right now the estimated audience on according to anchor.fm, my host app, that I use to publish these podcasts on, I'm ha- averaging 14, an audience of 14 every week. And that might not seem like a lot, but to put in retrospect, when I get updates about podcasts in general, um, I don't follow many podcasts, but I do see some that pop it up as some of the more popular podcasts. And I see that the average plays and audiences are in the 30s, or at least the play count is in the 30s, and mine's uh, average is 17 per week. So uh, for just starting off, I don't think that's a pretty bad deal. Matter of fact, uh, give God the glory that being able to get this done and and to be able to do more of these wonderful podcasts. I've been enjoying doing this. I pray that you've been enjoying and uh, enjoying and getting um, hearing these. And it's been great and not only doing these, but preparing for them as well. And some more information about the podcast. I made some decisions that I want to go ahead and pass on to you, the listener. One big thing I want to mention is that I have decided how I'm going to break up these episodes. And what I mean by that is how many seasons, how many episodes are going to be per season. I did not think about this when I was planning this out, so I didn't think about having different seasons and whatnot. But since I want to do this every week, regardless whether if the Monday falls on a, or the Tuesday rather falls on a holiday or not, I want to try to do these podcasts every week so i decided to divide 52 by 4 so there will be 13 episodes per season so um in essence we're almost halfway through the first season that's pretty crazy when you think about it so with us being on episode six now if you uh listen to the um, listen to the timeout monday on the lyman church of christ facebook page 
one thing that you will recall from there is that we are still talking about misconceptions in scripture. Now, as I mentioned in the timeout Monday, in case you did not tune into that, the one thing we will be focusing on today is not so much a common misconception among Christians per se, but it's a common belief that's starting to appear more and more in the Christian worldview. And it's a very dangerous one. And that view that we're referring to is out of Genesis chapter 1, looking at verses 1 and 2. But I want to start at verse 1 for right now. But in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very simple, yet profound statement. Because it gives indication that God is all powerful. That it is God who is the one who created it all. That there was no other force that caused and had done creation. And we'll have more details on this in John chapter 1, especially verses 1 through 3. Also, you can count 4 and 5 in that as well. But I don't want to get to John 1 just yet. We will later on in this podcast. But the reason I wanted to look at this verse and then at verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the reason why I say I wanted to look at this and it's a miss conception a theory that's being perceived very very harshly and very um, aggressively is the theory out of these two verses now if you're not familiar with some of the modern teachings of quote-unquote Christians that are trying to combine the theory of evolution and God's Word it's intriguing study It's a sad study, but it's an intriguing one to say the least, if you can even call it intriguing. But one of the biggest things that you will see in this teaching and trying to combine the two, two theories have arisen out of them. And if you're someone that follows this or someone that wants to combine the two, in your mind, you might think, hey, these this is perfect. You know, we don't have to try to, to defend creationism as it is in scripture. We can combine both and we can convince the world that we know what we're talking about. And so I want to be saying a lot of things here. And this is, I just want to make some disclaimers here. I was a Christian I left the faith, I became an atheist, and I came back. You've heard me say that numerous times. But I'm making this especially known and bringing to your remembrance in this particular episode because I really want to make something clear. I have a zero tolerance for the theory of evolution and for man-made theories that question the authenticity of God and creation. And so I'm going to sound a little frustrated at times. And this is not to say if you believe in this, I'm not frustrated at you. I'm not. Because I know that it is tempting to want to believe something that can please God, but also please man as well. 
I understand that. I know the desire to want to do that. However, I want us to keep this one thing in mind before we get any further into this. I want you to keep this one thing in mind. Over in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, I want us to quickly look at verse verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's a very important statement there, that we are the salt of the world. We are the light of the world. We have this very emotional attachment to the world. But we must also realize that we have an obligation to God. We live in the world. We interact with the world. So I'm not saying and trying to say that, oh, man, we need to abandon everything in the world. But we have to make a decision on where are we going to stand on these issues, especially issues that question God. And I also think of another verse over in the next chapter, in chapter 6 of Matthew, in verse 24. And I think this one probably fits better into what I'm getting at more than what we read in chapter 5. Though what we read in chapter 5 is of great importance. But in chapter 6, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Your translation might say man and... And though this, in reference, in its context, is referring to laying up treasures on earth versus laying up treasures in heaven. So, yes, understand the context is in reference more to money and to the material wealth of this world. But I want to also look at the fact that the scripture is still true on the matter that no one can serve two masters. And I believe that can be applied to doctrine as well. You cannot accept the doctrine of man and also accept the doctrine of scripture when it comes to the origin of life. It is impossible. It is incompatible. It cannot be done. And the attempt to do that and the attempt to combine the two is absolutely beyond blasphemous because all we are doing is saying to God that we do not believe your account, so we are going with this theory that was not even heard of until the 1800s. And that's the thing that gets me when we try to combine the two, is that if this was genuinely a thing, if evolution genuinely was something from God, shouldn't we have been have some revelation of it in scripture of some, in some point or some way or some hint of it? We don't have any hint or 
any kind of indication of it whatsoever in scripture. So this whole idea of trying to combine these two is not just incompatible, but it goes against logic because man's answers to the original life has a thousand additional questions. Every time a question is answered, a thousand more come up. It's a never ending quest to try to figure out all of the intricacies of the origins of life. But when you believe the accounts of Genesis and read about how God had created the heavens and the earth and how he created everything in six 24-hour days, rested on the seventh, and that he, the way he set up everything was just absolutely genius and, majest and majestic majestic and uh, and wise we can't comprehend this and and that's the thing when i was an atheist i started realizing i had to have more faith in evolution in the big bang theory i had to have more faith in that than in god and in the genesis account because my whole belief on those things depended on what evidences we found and i know a few years ago we uh, there was a big discussion that we supposedly found some evidence of the Big Bang Theory and which, you know, the Big Bang actually taking place in it. And I read a lot of articles on that and whatnot, and I just couldn't help but laugh. I didn't want to do that, but I just couldn't help but laugh because they found what they think is 1% or 10 or if even that proof of their theory, but no, it's... You're going to need a lot more than that to give some proof on that. And, you know, and which we're not going to get into that today because I can decimate that theory pretty good. And I don't want to focus on that right now. But what I want to do focus is on Genesis 1 and 1 and 2. We're going to look at other verses as well, which we already have. But we're going to continue to look at other verses. But for now, our main focus is going to be on Genesis 1, 1, and 2. And again, looking at those verses of how God created the heavens and the earth. And also in realizing that, um, you know, the earth was out form. It, it was void. And and so there was nothing on earth when God would start to, um, you know, speak things into existence. But I want to focus on these two because there's two theories that are very prevalent and those that are trying to combine the two of trying to combine Christianity and the word of God and the theories of man, uh, evolution and other theories of the original life. But the first theory I want to discuss is called the gap theory, the gap theory. Now, as I mentioned, you might have never heard of these theories before, but I want to give you some information on what the gap theory is. Um, for those of us that believe in the creation account, we do not believe. I, you know, and I say we, I really mean we, I'm concluding myself in this as well. Do not believe that the earth was around for millions and billions of years. Matter of fact, there is barely any evidence to prove that it has been around for that long because all evidences that we have of age is based on man's created timeline not something that was found there was there is no standard for age that's the reason why a textbook 
from 10 years ago that previously said something happened millions of years ago is now obsolete because now it's in the billions. You, and that's the thing that people that do not believe in the Genesis account need. The more time they have, the more they can try to quote unquote prove what they believe. And this is and the reason I bring this up because the gap theory claims that Genesis chapter one and verse one there, when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that this was this is not the same earth that we have seen. This is not the same earth. That's the claim. They say that there is a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And that verse 1 is a completely different entity, very completely different thing. And saying that in verse 1 that God created the heavens and the earth and that um, the earth got corrupt. Satan corrupted the world and he destroyed that earth. And that's the reason why they say in verse 2 that the earth was without you know, the earth was without form. It was void, you know, and darkness in, you know, and the spirit hovered over the waters. And so they'll go and say that. And which there's a number of things wrong with that theory. One, there is nowhere in scripture that gives any indication that there was a quote unquote first earth before we have, you know, before we as humans in, was created there in the Genesis chapter one. And also in chapter two as well. There's no evidence, no type of information to give that hint whatsoever. Scripture does not always gives us the gives us the answers, but scripture gives us what we need. And even and here's the thing though, even if you somehow was able to prove or you was somehow right that the events or that Genesis 1 1 was talking and referring to a different earth. Where do you, where do the theory comes that Satan destroyed the earth or corrupted the earth and so God destroyed it? Well, that seems a little far fetched, actually, very far fetched because it's nowhere scripture that gives an indication. And two, if that was the case, then it seemed like that there would be, you know, it would make it seem like that. It would make it a little redundant for God to have this process, you know, have Satan do the same thing over again. And, you know, this is a number of questions that just get brought up that just don't make sense with this theory. And uh, one thing, another thing I want to add as well is that, so they believe that in between that, that the earth is uh, billions of years old because there's millions and billions of years between verses one and two. And again, that does not make sense for that to be the case because we have no indication of that in scripture. And two, it's just a very sad attempt to try to reconcile something that is not there, not only in scripture, but something that's not even there in science as well. And as we uh, continue on, um, the next theory, is called the day age theory the day age theory this is a very interesting theory because um if you recall earlier in this podcast i said that god created the uh heavens and the earth and you know, created earth in six 24 hour days rested on seventh and you might have thought to yourself that's interesting that he said 24 hour days why did he specify that don't everyone know there's 24 hours in a day and the answer is, yeah, it is 24 hours in a day. Yeah, I did specify it. And unfortunately, 
I don't think everyone is aware that there's 24 hours in a day. And there have always been 24 hours in a day because um, this day-age theory suggests that everything that was spoken into existence from verse 3 all the way to the end of the chapter to verse 31, that each day, like for instance in verse 3 and how God said, let there be light and there was light, God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. In their minds, that was not a 24-hour day, but that was um, something that that one day supposedly is millions of years. So they believe that each day, each of these six days are not six separate 24-hour days, but they are supposedly billions, millions of billions of years each day. And again, scripture gives no indication for this. Also, if you look at some of the stuff that was created, some of these things don't make sense on how they are able to exist. Um, for instance, in verse 9 through 13, he's creating vegetation and creating fruit, you know, and trees, all these things. But then you notice that in the in the next couple of you know, next couple of days, especially when we get down to verse 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves and with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God said, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day and verse 24 the God said let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind and it was so I wanted to read those verses because those verses just in themselves they debunk the day age theory why is that because we read God created vegetation he created plants he created the um the food you know that the plants that was all growing and that's all fine and dandy but if you take the day age theory then that means that birds and insects did not come until way later on so which meant that a lot of vegetation especially plants and flowers and trees would have probably end up being dead waiting for god to create the birds and the insects the help in the plants, especially the insects. And you think about the bees and how they pollinate and how they have helped in the creation and God's wisdom and letting and them using, you know, their ability to create and to help pollinate trees and pollinate um, flowers. And, and so just in that alone, it's like, so how did these trees and these vegetation stay alive this whole time? And those who support this theory, some of them will say that God just kept it alive. And But the point, that doesn't make any sense for it to be the case. Because why would scripture lie about it? I mean, why would scripture call it a day if it took that many years? Scripture has been pretty specific on times. Um, there's 
you can list things, you can find things in scripture where it's mentioning a particular time. You can place it throughout history. But yet, supposedly, it's supposed to take billions of years. Each day is supposed to represent billions of years. And then you're supposed to say, oh, the scripture just says day. And it's like, okay. But everything else in scripture has been backed by historical evidence. No historical evidences have been found, nor will there be any historical evidences found that support evolution. One of the biggest hoax of all time. And we have bought, in, we have bought into it and we have tricked ourselves into thinking that there's some magic way we can combine the two when in fact they are very incompatible. So the day age theory, the gap theory, these theories try to combine the two, but they just do not jive. They do not jive. And you have to realize that there are some who will not only question these or use these theories and do not get me wrong. Yes, I do get uh, I do get a little fired up when I see people trying to use these theories and other theories that try to justify evolution and the word of God and the origin of species species. But I think the thing that probably that gets me a little more under the skin more than even those theories themselves is while I despise those theories, I have to at least give some credit that they are wanting to stay to the scripture. They are not staying to the scripture, but in their minds, thinking that, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to disprove the word of God. Even though in some ways with these theories, they kind of are wanting, they're maybe not knowingly, but subconsciously trying to kind of scoop God out the way and put man's in there. But with that being said, there are some who go as far as to reject Genesis chapters 1 all the way to 11. Some Christians believe that the Bible actually starts in Genesis chapter 12 as far as, quote unquote, the actual Bible or the factual Bible. And that's a big slap in the face as me being a former atheist because I'm sitting here thinking, what right do you have to say what is scripture and what isn't? We believe the sacred text. We believe this text came from God. We acknowledge that God can do what we deem impossible to God. It's not impossible. Scripture teaches that. And some of these people that proclaim this have no problem in acknowledging God is all powerful. And to me, it gets under my skin because it's I'm thinking to myself, you're telling me that you are that gullible and that and like I said, I, I'm not meaning to offend anyone here, but this, the former atheist in me, I get fired up thinking about this. But you're willing, you're telling me that man is more powerful or man has more evidences than God? You're trying to tell me that man's wisdom is better than God's? 
I understand. I can. I have. You know, if a person don't believe scripture, don't believe that in God, no, that saddens me. But that makes sense on why they would have no problem. They, you know, with them, they're gonna reject Genesis to Revelation, not just certain parts of the book. And I have more respect for those individuals that do that. But you're gonna reject certain portions, and then a lot of times the thing that's scary is that um, not only. Are certain ports not only is, uh, chapters one through eleven rejected, but there's a lot of times too that that is just the beginning. Other people will go. I mean, some of those individuals will go and start denying other verses in the Bible and saying that this is not real scripture, and you know, start going to all of these things, and so it gets uh, annoying when you just think Genesis one through eleven. Are, is being claimed as not actually being scripture. Well, my friends, if even one verse was quote unquote proven to not be scripture, then that means the whole Bible is to be thrown out and not to be obeyed and that we should not obey it. If you can just prove that one verse is false, then, then that, that means that, oh, scripture is false. But that's the great thing about the word of God. It's not everything from God's word is true and I want us to look at some verses to reemphasize the fact that God's word is the greatest thing that we ever have we ever had and that we ever will have well, I want to first look at Isaiah 40 and verse 8 Isaiah 40 and verse 8 I'm going to kind of speed to these as far as like as soon as I get there I'm going to start reading them so if you need to um, just pause if you need time to find the verse if you're following along in your Bible uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 8 the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever and that is the absolute truth the word of our God will stand forever and we are blessed to have such sacred text from God, the word of God that is breathed by God, that contains his very breath, is within our grasp, and we want to deny certain parts of it or say certain parts of it is it quote-unquote real because some man who thinks he's smarter than everyone else or some woman who thinks she's smarter than everyone else deems that it can't be possible when our human minds can't even comprehend the things we have found on this earth just the small things we have found our minds can barely comprehend that but yet someone's supposed to be able to have enough comprehension to know that these things in scripture aren't so just thoughts to think about Let's continue. I'm going to be looking at Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Your years have no end. Can you believe that's the God of heaven that we serve he has no end. His wisdom is far above ours. If you want proof of that, read the end of Job and you will feel very insignificant. 
And you've got so much in scripture that gives indication of not only the word of God and God being forever, but also realizing that Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we get some additional details about that over in the New Testament in John verses 1, 1, you know, chapter 1, 1 through 3. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we get more details that Jesus his hand and his hand in creation. And that's just a beautiful thought to think about that the the Savior we serve in his hand and creating everything we see. And they creating us. It's just amazing when you think about that. And also, I want to also look at a couple more passages real quick, which I failed to mention this in the podcast, but on the time out Monday, yesterday, I had mentioned that this podcast might be a little longer than the podcast I have been doing because I am very passionate about this topic and about making sure not just young Christians, but middle-aged Christians, older Christians, all Christians to understand that there is no compromise when it comes to accepting man's view of how the world was created or how the species of the earth have quote-unquote evolved. And of course, um, microevolution as it's called, you know, as far or adaptation that does take place. And I'm not questioning that, but as far as the species changes that are being professed by evolution make absolutely no sense. And, or so you either take that view or you take the view that God created everything. And, and as, uh, I want to continue on that thought later, I want to go ahead and read our got to there in Hebrews six and verse 18 Hebrews 6, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who have we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That's a that's pretty crazy thing to think about. It is impossible for God to lie. So I want you to think about that. And someone tells you, oh, you got the gap theory and the day age theory there. Well, it's impossible for God to lie. So why would God deceive us in the thinking that the earth is millions and billions of years old? That doesn't make sense. And we're going to address that shortly on why the earth looks so old. But, you know, and why the earth gives off that, um, gives off the idea, or not the idea, but gives off the impression that it's older. And in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I want to, uh, this last passage we're going to look at before we do a little more talking. But in Hebrews chapter 13, I want us to keep in mind, especially looking at verse number nine and following. Actually, verse eight and nine. Yeah, Hebrews 13, eight and nine. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by fruits, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
you notice those conjunctions on those words so given an indication that there's not going to be any change of Jesus Christ what we have seen of him what we have gotten so far and what is promised still yet to come is going to happen with Jesus Christ and you notice there in verse 9 do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings and I am familiar that Hebrews obviously written to the Hebrews and a lot of the struggles that they those Jewish Christians had to go through and the situations and the circumstances they had to endure on a daily basis especially from Judaizers which are Jews that definitely you know had the motive of wanting people to stay in the Old Testament ways so they had so they needed this but we can take it in today's perspective as well staying away from strange teachings and the idea of trying to combine the two I I even think if I'm not mistaken which I didn't think to look this up before getting on the podcast but if I'm not mistaken I want to say I think I don't know about now but I do know that back in the day uh, sources that I have read so I want to I want to verify the the I want to verify this information. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, but I'm going to verify it this week and then on next week's podcast, I'll let you know if I was correct or incorrect. So this is kind of an open-ended thing here for now. But I believe I read a source one time that said that the Catholic Church years ago, uh, a couple decades ago, said that evolution was real and that um you know that evolution came from God and it's pretty much in those words and and again understand microevolution or adaptation that that's different because that's short-term changes and changes that we can actually see within a lifetime uh, sometimes it's a lifetime sometimes it might be a little longer than a lifetime but it's not hundreds and thousands it's not thousands and millions of years and so and you know you think about that and you're like no don't go that route god's word is the greatest thing we have and we have just said you know what we can decide for ourselves where we come from and then you think about the things that we have said that man has said that out of the blue boom a big thing happened and a surge of energy is coming out everywhere and everything just is in chaos and then it went to order and that's the thing that for years I not years but for a long time I have really just thought to myself man this makes so much sense and then when you start really thinking about it that's when you start really coming to some things in your mind like hold on a minute we believe in cause and effect Matter of fact, most atheists have a problem with Christianity because they claim that there is no effect with the cause. They'll say that, no, there's no greater power in answering scripture. There's no this, you know, or, you know, and pretty much saying that you have to do it yourself. You know, you are the cause of your effect. And not even realizing that what they have accused the Christian of doing is exactly what they are doing with the Big Bang Theory. Because no one 
can give an explanation on why this tiny thing ball of matter just exploded out of nowhere and everything came from that no there has to be a cause and effect to that something had to cause for that to happen but that's something that we're never going to get an answer to and there's going to be theories ton of theories to try to explain how this took place but the truth of the matter is they have no concrete evidence for that nor will they ever will because even if they you know with a little bit of quote-unquote evidence they found uh nasa and other space agencies you know they said we barely have discovered if even one percent of the earth of the night sky or the galaxy and the stars um maybe like five percent maybe if even that i think it's even less than that probably even less than one percent but you know just go on youtube you'll see about you know these videos about the universe is bigger than you think and and you just it's just really crazy when you see the type of uh to see what's uh how big the universe is and so even if they found what they think in their minds more evidence that's going to take um just on traveling to some of these places it's going to be way past our lifetime before any of those probes even get to some of these areas so there's no way they're going to find the information to this because this space is so infinite and that's the thing that gets me too is for a space that vast and you're telling me that all came from a tiny ball of matter? That does not make any sense. And the answer to the question, and I get asked this sometimes, well, why does the Earth give old parents if evolution is not a thing, if the Earth being around for millions and billions of years isn't a thing, then why does the Earth look so old? And this a simple question, I mean, not a simple question, it's a pretty um, in-depth question has a simple answer though and I will tell you this answer did not come from me this answer did not come from me it came from brother BJ Clark I, I remember this from school and this is, is an answer that I will never forget he asked us and I probably not gonna be saying this word for word but um, pretty much this is what he was saying that he asked how old was Adam when Adam was created you know, you know he was one day old right was Adam a baby at one day old? Answer is no. He was a grown man. When Eve was created, when she was one day old after being created, she wasn't a baby. She was also a grown person. She was a grown woman. And he brought up the good point that why would God make an earth that needed to change over time? Wouldn't it make sense for him to make an earth that's already working? And that makes a lot of sense. God made a mature world, a, a world that's already working, that's already in effect. And that's the reason why that we see a lot of the things that we are assuming is billions and millions of years old and realize that that's not the case. It's just our earth gives that appearance because God created a working earth. And so you got to realize that a lot of stuff that is being trying to be pushed down our throats or trying to combine doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things and also when you think about christianity and you think about scripture just think about the fact of how does god feel when we say this is not scripture or this isn't real that you are taking his book his very own words 
and saying, nah, the, I deem this not to be the case. Just imagine that that's a really powerful thing for us to say, but it's something that we have no right to say. And we got to realize that we have to accept what is in God's word and take it, not just apply it to our lives, but also realize that this book holds a lot of answers. And just because the world does not accept those answers doesn't mean we stop. You know, we are human. We want to be accepted by as many people as possible because we subconsciously, we want to have that feeling of acceptance. We don't like being, feeling like we're alone. There's a, you know, there's a number of us that have no problem being alone, maybe, but still, even with those people, there's still to a degree, even though some have it stronger than others, there's to a degree, this, this subconscious mindset of wanting acceptance by somebody. So the idea of going against the grain is a very daunting thing. It's daunting because you, that means that you or I've put a target on your head. Um, to the, I don't know, I, I doubt I probably don't have many young people listening to this podcast, which I'm hoping that will change one day, uh, which actually I have thought about maybe having a separate podcast just for a uh, younger audience, which that is something I have thought about, um, which if you, um, if you have any thoughts on that, uh, come and um, talk to me, let me know. Um, I would like, to have some, because I am thinking about that and maybe talking on some topics that will help with our young people and also uh, just kind of look at some avenues with that. But for our young people, it's hard, especially when they go to college and and it don't even, and the thing that's so sad is it's not just evolution, but just the idea of just believing in what many on college campuses consider an old... Um, outdated and you you know outdated religion and there's nothing outdated about christianity and we'll be talking in another podcast about how many of the topics how many of the topics that are addressed in scripture are a lot of the same problems that they had to deal with back then as well so this is uh that's a very interesting study but our young people have to suffer through a lot of these things because they don't want to feel left out. We, you know, not just young people, but adults. We don't want to feel like we're all there by ourselves. But sometimes taking a stand for what we believe in. And we don't want to cause trouble. We don't do, we don't take stands to cause trouble, but we take stands to let people know that not only do we accept the biblical account, but we acknowledge who our master is and we let the world know who we have chosen to serve. And many people will not like that. That took me years to realize that what am I doing trying to please men? Why am I trying to please men? Why am I trying to please women? Why am I trying to when why am I trying to please them? in far as ideology is concerned. Why am I trying to be popular among them or may, or when I was younger, you know, I didn't really want people to know I was a Christian. But now as I've gotten older, it's like, 
I want people to know I am a Christian. But not to make it seem like I'm some self-righteous guy, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flawed. I got a lot of flaws. But I have become more willing and more wanting for people to know that I'm a Christian so that they can look at my life and say, I want what he's got. And me personally, the more I thought about it, especially as I gotten older, the more I realized, you know, not changing in the face of pressure, especially as many people change when anything seems quote unquote politically incorrect and and which which with that term I'm you know I'm uh, I'm not one of those people that thinks that politically correctness every single thing political correctness is a bad thing I mean I do think there are some things that are what we would call politically correct that's I actually don't think it's a bad thing that had changed over the years, but I do think that there's some things that just gone overboard. But um, so I just want to clear that up. But you know, when you see people that make any kind of statement that's not in line with society, people get attacked on Twitter, Facebook, and they'll use any medium to attack them. I mean, people even get death threats, and a lot of times they'll issue apologies, they'll try to get back on track and everything. And that's why I started realizing how much more influence would we have if Christians actually took a stand instead of compromising every single time the world says move. We stand our ground because we are supported by someone, a being, who is stronger than any man on this earth. Many people worship individuals like Stephen Hopkins and um, other individuals. One guy I've definitely wanted to mention. Uh, his name just slipped my mind. But uh, it's going to come to me after I get done with this uh, podcast, probably. <laughs> but uh, he's a black physicist and he often makes, uh, you know, he'll make these science videos and, and uh, he's a real popular guy and everything but and he's far it's funny he's popular and i can't think of his name <laughs> but he makes a lot of comments mocking christians you know bill nye the science guy a guy who doesn't even have any degrees in science yet mocks christians for our beliefs and and mocks us and and saying that it's dangerous that we believe in god and it's like dangerous that makes us dangerous which i'm not here to get into all that but Again, um, if you hear of the gap or the day age theory, please understand that these are just simply trying to combine both um, the doctrine of evolution, the theory of evolution, with the truthfulness of God's word and realize that there cannot be a comparison of the two. That, as we read earlier over in Matthew chapter 6, one must, you know, accept and serve one master and love a master and despise the other. Will we despise those teachings that question the very existence of God? And when I say question, I mean in man's mind's question. Nothing can, there's nothing on this earth that questions God, period. And when we realize that, I think that's when we'll come to the realization that we have something that the world 
cannot have and does not offer. Again, um, I know I went a little over, but that's I had a lot to talk about that because, as I mentioned, I, I do have a big pet peeve about those trying to combine those two things. So I just want to end with this as we usually end. I encourage you, um, look to God's word. Understand God's word. And be a part of the family of God. You know, if you are a penitent believer, meaning that you're willing to change your life, you're willing to repent, you're willing to make your life so that you want to be pleasing to God and not man. And then if you're willing to confess that faith and not just confess that faith in front of people, but to confess that faith and how you live and how you study God's word and then being baptized for the remission of sins and understanding that we have such a beautiful thing in scripture and a beautiful thing that we have is seeing that God provided a way even for a flawed person like me and a flawed person like you to come to Jesus Christ and to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have been baptized and perhaps you've been getting caught up in these teachings. It's might seem harmless at first, but please realize that over time, it can cause problems because it will start to make you wonder what else is wrong in scripture or what else is scripture trying to conceal and realize that it's not, it's there what we need to know. So please, I encourage you to please keep that these thoughts in mind when looking at God's word and looking at the theories of man and the countless theories that's going to come for the next coming years. Um, before we close out, just wanted to mention a couple of things before we officially close out. And uh, sorry about that. I forgot I had it on mute. Kind of wanted to fade it in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, first of all, just want to mention we're still going to be talking the next coming weeks about commonly mis uh, commonly misconceived uh, scriptures. And for the next two podcasts, we're going to be focusing on that still, as mentioned. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the misconception of 1 Corinthians 11, 23-29. Uh, this one's kind of geared more to those in the church in the misconception about the Lord's Supper. Now, when I say misconception, it's not talking about fundamentals like the day of the week, the taken and whatnot, but some things in that passage that's taken out of context. And then after that, we're going to be doing misconceptions on baptism. Again, thank you all for your attention. You all have a good rest of your day, rest of your week. God bless, and to God be the glory. For you. Yes, you are my Savior.